Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we conclude this series today, The Reason for Our Hope, as we turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8, with a message entitled, What God Has Prepared, Part 2. We've all heard of the person who is so heavenly-minded, he or she is of no earthly good. But in truth, I've never met that person. I do know of individuals who, in their attempt to be spiritual, stop thinking about, well, caring for their family or who give no thought about their contribution to the wider human good. But I don't view those people as heavenly-minded at all, at least not in how the Bible describes heaven. These people, I would argue, have a spirituality that views matters in terms of a dichotomy, kind of like the Greeks thought, but definitely not how the Bible describes heaven. The Greeks saw the physical created world as evil and created by a lesser deity. When they believed that pure spiritual reality, that was good. They didn't have a good doctrine of creation about a a God who created a physical world and called it good. And so for some of the Greeks, interest in this earth was less than spiritual. They believed the body was the prison house for the soul, and they looked to be released from the body into a mere spiritual existence. And so I fear that when people say he or she, for that matter, is so heavenly-minded they're of no earthly good, what they should rather say is that he or she has adopted Greek spirituality in favor of the spirituality of the Bible. See, I once knew a very difficult woman who was filled with this kind of what I call hyper-spirituality. She complained about her husband's love of hockey, and she claimed that he should have been praying, and that would have been a much better use of his time. And her criticism didn't end with her husband. She claimed that every Christian she had ever met in Canada was carnal. Now, to be sure, I do think that most of us should be praying more rather than giving ourselves to all the kind of things that clutter our souls. But enjoying creation or having a coffee with friends on the balcony of a restaurant, hiking in the woods, skiing, working hard at our profession, living life in the context of family, But all of this is not the opposite of spirituality. We can do these things in praise of our Creator and be deeply heavenly-minded. The new earth spoken of in the Bible, our eternal home, is a real earth with, with dirt and water and rocks and trees and flowers, natural wonders, and people, redeemed people all made new. Years ago, when my dad was feeling quite unwell, and and I thought we'd lose him then, he told me how much he wished that he would have the chance to go out to the mountains one more time. And I said to him, Dad, even if you die now, we're going to go to the mountains, you and I, and we're going to breathe the mountain air. And I didn't mean it as a metaphor. I meant it in the way the Bible does. There's a new earth which will be our home. As a way of introducing the new year, I wanted to make sure that that you, my dear listener, would be filled with faith and filled with hope. I want you, if you know Christ, to believe that your best days are yet ahead of you and that you would take courage and, and press on with great joy. Follow the Lord. Fight against the sin that would disqualify you. Trust fully in the grace of God that that comes through faith in Christ, who gave himself up for you. Never, never, never lose sight of heaven. And if you're not a believer, I urge you to, to abandon your present way of life, for it ends with no hope. Why live a life in which you, as you get older, 
find out that your best days are behind you and not in front of you. Christ offers you everything. Confess your sin, turn from your sin and turn to Christ and he will have mercy on you. So as a way of ending this year and beginning the new one, I've wanted us to consider Revelation 21, 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, yesterday I began by looking at verse 1. The new heaven and the new earth. God makes all things new. Now I want to look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, in presenting the picture of heaven, the book of Revelation contrasts the old earth with the new earth. That's to say that there is some kind of a connection with the old earth and the new one. Gone are the things that belong to the old age, sin, death, hunger, want, cataclysms, destruction, and in its place are the things that God has prepared for those who have received a new body. The new earth is infinitely better. It's renewed. It's it's made perfect. But in verse 2, we have a contrast between the old Jerusalem and the new one. Now, I need to tell you, I'm fondly attached to the old Jerusalem. I've been there a number of times. You know, the very first time I went to Jerusalem, Kathy and I were preparing ourselves. We thought we'd be doing a lot of hiking when we got there, so we hiked all the hills of our neighborhood. After all, Jerusalem is a hilly place. And as Kathy and I were preparing for our pilgrimage to Jerusalem, Kathy had said, you know, let's remember all the songs that we know about Jerusalem. And somehow we'd settled on one of the old hymns of Isaac Watts. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. That was the song that was in our heads when we saw the holy city for the first time. The song has the idea that the Christian pilgrimage is one long pathway to Jerusalem. Indeed, it repeats twice the line. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground. And I knew when we got to Jerusalem, this was Emmanuel's ground. I saw the Kidron Valley for the first time. I imagined Jesus walking through the valley in the night after the Passover meal, climbing up the other side to the Mount of Olives where he spent the night in Gethsemane. I looked at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and I tried to imagine the temple in Jesus' day. I must say it was very emotional. But the first time we saw the city, we did it in the way that all the tourists do it. We came through a tunnel and a CD was playing the holy city and the driver timed it just as we came through the tunnel and saw the city for the first time. The music rang out. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, lift up your voice and sing. Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna to your king. My eyes were by then simply brimming with tears. All of our marching through the neighborhood and singing and all the anticipation. and, And here we were. And I remember shortly after that, as Kathy and I kind of hung on to each other with deep emotion, a man came to me and he said, you know, Pastor, what's so important about Jerusalem? Well, I was kind of dumbfounded by the question. And finally, as I thought about it, I said to him, well, this is the place where, where Abraham offered up his son Isaac. This is the place where King David reigned. This is the place the Babylonians burned to the ground. And when the Jews went to exile, from this place they sang, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, 
may my right hand lose its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. This is the city where our Lord was crucified. This is where his blood paid for my sins. And here is where I entered into my covenant with God. This is where the eternal hope of the ages came to fruition. This is the center of the earth. This is the city where Jesus will reign for all eternity. Within this city is bound up every single hope that I have. And sir, I said, today I've come home. Even though I've never been here before, I've been longing for this place all my life. Now, I know that Jerusalem, that is as it is today, is only faintly what I'm describing. It's a divided city. It's a city where Muslims and Jews and Christians and Armenians have four quarters and they try to live with one another in peace. But the tensions frequently boil over. As the Jews go to pray at the Western Wall, the the speakers from the mosque sometimes will boom out over them and it makes it very hard for them to pray. I was there once when tension spilled over into a riot and, and I remember Kathy and I darted into a back alley to get away from stone-throwing Muslim youth who were enraged about something that had just occurred. I have seen pickpockets at work. I, I've seen all manner of things and it's always guarded by all manner of soldiers who have machine guns. And, and one might wonder what in the world would give anyone the idea that this is a holy city. But here's what the Bible tells us with certainty. It's not always going to be this way. There is a new Jerusalem coming down from God. And the old Jerusalem is just a faint hint of what the new one is going to be. Indeed, the book of Revelation describes the city in such a way that if you've never been to the old Jerusalem and wonder if you're never going to get there in this life, well, let me say something to you. Don't be so sad. You will get to the new one. And if, and if it was emotional to get to the old one, just imagine what it will be like when Jerusalem is made new. Happy New Year from all of us at Back to the Bible Canada. We're praying that the Lord would bless you and your family as we begin 2021. As 2020 comes to an end, we can't help but reflect on our partnership with so many across Canada who have made this Bible teaching ministry possible. We're constantly amazed at the kindness and generosity of so many, young and old, who value this ministry. Your support helps people of all ages and stages to discover Jesus, the light of the world in the pages of the Bible. If you'd like to know more about how you can partner with us this upcoming year, give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. May the new year bring you happiness and peace. Wishing you a joyous 2021. In the later parts of Revelation 21, we're told the size and dimensions of the New Jerusalem. It's over 2,000 kilometers long. It's exactly the same wide and it's exactly the same height. The city is a perfect cube, about as long as from Vancouver to Winnipeg. The same width and the same height. The city is, is massive. It's said to have the glory of God with 12 gates. Each gate is made of one precious stone. And the city is made of pure gold as clear as glass. The city to come needs no temple, for the Lord God Almighty is the temple. 
it will be the most beautiful city the earth has ever seen. I know of some when they're calculating out the dimensions uh, that they sometimes, I think, miss the point. Now, anyone who knows the Bible well will tell you that the only other perfect cube that's found in the Bible are the dimensions of the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament temple in Jerusalem. And you're going to remember that the Holy of Holies contained only a few items. It contained the statues of two massive cherubim with 15-foot wingspans, and between them stood the Ark of the Covenant. And only once a year, on the Day of Atonement, could the high priest enter into this room, and he would, as it were, stand in the very presence of God, and he would enter it with the blood of slain animals, sprinkling it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, offering atonement for himself and for the people. For if he didn't enter with blood, the mercy seat would become a judgment seat, and he would die on the spot. Only he could enter. Any other person entering would be put to death. But on the day that Christ died, when his blood offered up the final and ultimate atonement, his shed blood was sprinkled on the place of the mercy seat. And then the veil in the temple was torn, offering those who believed the privilege to enter into the holy place of God through his broken body and his shed blood. And in the final day, the entire city of Jerusalem will be one massive holy of holies. Its gates will never be shut. The righteous from the whole earth will freely enter into the holy city. I think in the age to come, pilgrimage will be made. And as the host of the Lord's redeemed enter the city, they're entering the holy of holies and their eyes will see the Lord. Their joy will be perfect. Don't you see our best days are ahead of us? In fact, I'm quite sure that this is what John meant in verse 1 when he said, and the sea was no more. You know, in the ancient world, as I said before, the sea was not what we think of it today. The sea was then an impassable barrier. All the shipping of that day simply hugged the coastline, and it followed it along and not too far out. And no one could cross the vastness of the ocean. And that's what it's like between God and us. No one can cross that ocean, that very expanse. But one day it's going to be gone. And that's how I imagine the life to come. You know, in the Old Testament, there are a number of annual festivals, uh, feasts like Passover, followed by the Feast of the First Fruits, and then there was the Feast of Weeks, and then followed the Feast of Trumpets, and following the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Booths. And the pilgrims would journey to Jerusalem to worship. And as they approached the city, and they would see it from a distance, they would go down into the Kidron Valley and, and up the other side, and, and they would break out into songs. And, and those songs are recorded in the book of Psalms. They're called the Songs of Ascent. And, and like Psalm 134, they would spontaneously begin to sing, Come bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. See, I imagine us journeying from wherever we live in the new earth to Jerusalem when we see that magnificent cube sparkling with its impressive jewels and its 12 massive gates, the city made of pure gold needing no light for God himself is its light. We break into song together. We bless God singing the song of ascents. And then we go into his presence because of the blood of Jesus we're invited and we see him and we fall in worship. 
and we go out and doing all that we do, performing tasks and learning and growing and accomplishing whatever task we have in the new earth, all is done to the glory of the one God whom we continually worship. I love being heavenly minded. I hope you do. Now, verses three to four, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You know, I've been saying that for those who hope in Christ that that God is preparing our home. It's the new earth where the sea separating heaven and earth is removed. But here we also note that God is preparing our relationship with him. In the old order, the one we presently live in now, we do celebrate our relationship with God. But we know that we celebrate our relationship with Christ in the midst of tears. I'm reading 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. It said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In our present existence, God in his mercy has called us to identify with the sufferings of Jesus. God has ordained it that Christian people would know rejection, slander, suffering of all kinds, which will also include illness, but it will also include the calling to sacrifice on behalf of the gospel. We are called upon to deny ourselves. and We're to deny the indulgences that others partake in easily. This is our calling. We are to identify with our Lord and Savior. We are to pick up our cross and follow him. But the denial of self is not an end in itself. In the context of Revelation, God's people refuse the mark of the beast so that they might identify with Christ. It is the great king that we accept, and it is the great beast that we reject. We don't think that because we suffer, we're somehow more spiritual. We suffer because we've rejected the present order of things, and we long for the renewal of all things. And that's why in this coming year, let us lay aside all the weight of sin that burdens us, and let us make any sacrifice for the life to come. For the day is surely coming when all the tears of the present life are wiped away, and they, the tears and sorrows, are consigned to the place where they rightfully belong. They belong to the old order of things. Our place is not there, and so tears are replaced with joy. Now to verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Notice how John, the author of Revelation, wants us to sit up and pay attention. This is not pie in the sky by and by. This, this is the word of a God who cannot lie. So, so pay attention. And with that comes the invitation in verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. I want us to listen to the voice of the one who is on the throne. First of all, are you aware that the one who is speaking is the Alpha and the Omega? These are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The sense here is that God is before all things. And in fact, he is the origin of all things. 
but he is also the goal of all things. It is he that is before and after all things. When planning your eternity, are you listening to him? It is this one that offers us an invitation to the thirsty. He will give the springs of water without payment. In other words, if you're thirsty for what he has, he offers it to you free of charge. Translated, if you have a spiritual need of forgiveness and mercy, he wants to offer you life. He bids you to come. He insists that you hold on to him and that you conquer with him. It means that you never stop trusting him. But to the one who insists on going his own way, what follows in verse 8 is a list of the sins of the self-directed life. And all that's left is a, is a lake that burns for all of eternity. And so if before every one of us stands the great question of our eternity. Our destiny is either heaven or hell. It's either the wiping away of all of our tears or it's the anguished cries and gnashing of teeth that never goes away. Come, says the one who is eternal, come and accept my free offer. If today you don't yet know Christ, might I ask you, confess your sins, surrender your life to him. He offers to you a life that never passes away. And if you know Christ today, might I say this as we approach a new year, get your eyes on the glory that is to be revealed. Never take your eyes off heaven. Become heavenly minded and everything in this life will take proper perspective. God bless you and have a marvelous new year. John, thanks so much for finishing off our year so well. You know, we had this extra week between Christmas and New Year's, and, and I'm not quite sure I knew what to do with it, but you did, and you spoke so nicely and so beautifully about heaven these last couple of days. Why do you think that was? What led you to do that as we entered into a new year? Yeah, I mean, there are a number of things that one can address at the beginning of a new year. I mean, a lot of times people talk about, you know, the hopes that we have and uh, the plans that we make. And, you know, a lot of people will, in the new year, they'll put together a list of the things that they want to accomplish. And, and of course, we know the jokes about all of these lists getting broken by the time we get to the middle of January. I wanted to kind of get away from that this year, and, and I wanted to get our eyes on, on the big picture. And, Ben, if I could add one more thing to this as well. If this can be anything, I would hope that it might be an encouragement for Bible colleges, seminaries, and other places where the Bible is taught that we have specialized courses simply on heaven and, uh, and upon the life to come. It's so important for all of us. Thanks so much, John, and uh, thanks for this year and the year to come. We look forward to all that we're going to do in the name of the Lord right here at Back to the Bible Canada where we teach the Bible. Every week in Doubt, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, airs a new insightful conversation about issues of life and faith targeted to a young adult audience. These conversations include Christian pastors and leaders from around the globe discussing important topics from a biblical perspective. Topics such as the sanctity of life or forgiveness, sexuality, the church, issues of mental health, loneliness, abuse, always with the intention of offering a biblical response. Join In Doubt On Air on the indoubt.ca website, the Indoubt mobile app, or subscribe for our weekly podcast. We live in a time and place where the daily questions of life and faith are challenging. 
We believe the Bible will guide us toward truth and and challenge us to live radically different lives. For more information about Endowed or if you'd like to support this ministry, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit endowed.ca.